Hi, I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I want to share a story about something that I feel really guilty about in terms of parenting. When my daughter was about 11 years old, she came into my room around three o'clock in the morning because she was vomiting. So I got up with her and she was not just vomiting. She was like a crazy person. First, she was climbing on the table behind the sofa. Then she was lying on the floor. And then she moved to the dining room table and she just kept vomiting. So being a mom, I wanted her to wait. I gave it a few hours and finally I took her to the emergency department. And it turns out she was passing a kidney stone. How did I know she needed to go in? It's because I have training. She had something we called rebound tenderness and I knew that that was a symptom that necessitated a visit to the emergency department. I know parents want to know these secrets too because most of you know how it feels to think your child is super, super sick Then you take them to the doctor or the emergency room and then all of a sudden they feel better and they're running around the waiting room and you don't know why you're there. Or you've experienced the time you took your kid in two weeks after an injury only to find out that their arm was actually broken. It's so hard to know when to take your kid to the emergency room and that's what we're gonna talk about today. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. How do you know you need to take your kid to the emergency room? I'm talking with Dr. Joelle D'Onofrio Odeman today. She's a pediatric emergency medicine physician at University of California, San Diego. And honestly, she's a total superhero. In fact, during our interview, she has her four-month-old son strapped to her chest in a baby carrier. Her 12-year-old stepson wanders through the room And you may hear her husband in the background making fish sticks. There's some rustling around when we're talking about bleeding, so listen for it. Plus, her kids all just had RSV, you know, that horrible respiratory virus. So that's why I started our conversation by asking her this. How do you know, like, what do you look for in terms of respiratory stress? How do you know if you need to go to the emergency department? I tell this to everyone, get them naked. Look at your child. Don't have them wrapped up in a million different coats. Literally, and I have I have done this to so many of my friends who text me and they go, do I need to go to the ER? And I say, send me a video of your kid breathing. And then they'll send one of their kids like all dressed up stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. Take your kid's shirt off and video it for like 30 seconds. Like awkwardly sit and stare at your child breathing for a number of breaths and see, are they struggling? Are they using a lot of their muscles? So you want to look for signs of respiratory distress on their exam, like have them with the shirt off and look and see if they're flaring their nose, look and see if they're tugging above their clavicles, above their collarbones, look and see if they're sucking in under their ribs. I know in the office, like I'll try and suction them out deeply and I have a deep suction and then I look at them and if they're still working hard to breathe, I'll send them to the emergency department. But otherwise I just encourage parents to suction at home and treat their fever, right? Because kids will breathe a lot faster if they have a fever. I think that's a really important point you bring up. I have so many kids. I think even on my last shift where the parents come in and they're like, my kid was breathing really, really fast. And you go, yes, you were correct. Your kid was breathing really, really fast because they had a fever. And anytime that the body wants to get hot, it's going to ramp up the heart rate and it's going to ramp up the respiratory rate. So your kid's heart rate is going to go really high and they're going to be really, really fast when they're trying to get a fever. But when the fever breaks their breathing will slow down. So a lot of times I say, if it's just that they're breathing really fast and they have a fever, treat the fever and then reassess. So I want to talk more about fever. How do you know you need to go to the emergency department if your child has a fever? 
It all depends on how old your kid is and how they look and how long they've had the fever for. If your baby is less than a month old and they have a fever of 100.4, especially a rectal fever of 100.4, you need to go to the hospital right now. Don't delay, go straight in. You need to get labs, look for meningitis, like possibly get antibiotics. If your baby is one month to two months, you still need to go in and get a whole workup, but there's some odds you're gonna be able to actually go home. Okay, so let me tell you, there's a five-year-old They were completely fine. They were at school all day. They come home and all of a sudden they look terrible and they spike a fever of 103.5. Does that kid need to go to the emergency department? No, no, no. If it's just a fever, even even for a few days of fever, you have an immune system for a reason. And you can, like, for example, if you get a cold, you might have three days of fever and a week or sometimes even several weeks of cough. Oh my gosh, coughs take forever to go away. But a healthy vaccinated kid with no past medical history who just has a cold or just has one day fever, we wouldn't worry about it at all. Yeah, I always say we don't, as doctors, pay attention to how high the fever is. I don't really worry about the height. I always talk about the pattern of the fever. So if your fever is spiking high at night and then you give Tylenol and then the next day they're playful, that's a virus. We don't worry about it. Kids can get crazy high fevers. And the forehead temperature probes can give you crazy high numbers. So a lot of times, the um, even in the emergency department, we will do a temporal thermometer, like through the ear or through the forehead screen, and it'll come back crazy high, like 105, 106. But then you do a rectal temperature, which is a much more accurate form, and it's like 103, 104. So if you get a crazy high number, it's probably not actually that high. No, so we always look at how the kid looks, right? You can have a kid who's running around with a 103 fever, happy as can be playing with their toys, right? So they're fine. You don't need to worry about that fever if that kid's acting okay. I always tell the parents, treat the kid, not the number. Check the number because we like to know it in the hospital. We're fascinated. Is it a 100.9 versus like a 104? But if only give them medicine if they're not eating and drinking well and they feel crappy because of the fever. If your kid has a fever and feels crappy, treat the crappiness. Now, the other thing to to note is kids look really crappy when they have high fevers. That's to be expected. If you have 103, 104, you just don't feel good. If the fever goes away and your kid still looks crappy, go into the ER. When the fever goes away, your kid should look better. So that's one of the worrying signs that I usually talk about for parents. That reminds me of another condition and it's always in the back of our minds is Kawasaki disease, which I'm not going to go into now, but it reminds me that when a child has fever and a rash, that raises our suspicion for significant illness a lot more. What do you see when you see rash and fever? What do you worry about? I can tell a lot. Scarlet fever gives you like a sandpaper-like rash. A lot of the viral illnesses that were much more serious back in the day, we vaccinate for measles, uh, varicella, rubella. It's fantastic. If, if you have a fever and a rash, but you're vaccinated and you've had your one-year-old shots, much, much, much less likely to be that, much more likely to be something benign and you get to go home and you're probably just gonna be miserable for a little bit. Now, Dr. Wendy, you brought up Kawasaki. For all you parents who are like, oh my God, fever and rash. It's not just a fever and a rash. Kawasaki is an incredibly rare condition that has five days in a row or more of very high fevers, 103, 104, that just won't go away. 
and they have a rash and red eyes and red lips and peeling of their hands. And there's this whole clinical sequelae that goes together. And those kids, we work up, we do blood work, we ultrasound the heart to take a look at their heart arteries, but it's not the most common cause of fever and rash. So if you're listening to this, your kid is probably gonna have a fever and rash. It's incredibly common. It's usually just a viral exanthem. We tend to worry a little bit more about fever with rash, but if the fever happens and the fever suddenly goes away and you break out in a rash, that's a completely different story than if you persistently have fever and the rash appears at the same time. We really, we pique our interest about that. The safest one, the, one of my favorite stories is where you have really high fever, like crazy high fevers, 104, 105, for like three to four days in a row. And a lot of these kids have come into the ER over and over and over for these high fevers. You've got these crazy workups. And then the fever goes away. And the moment the fever's gone, you have this amazing rash. It's like the entire body, but no fever at the same time as a rash. And it's completely normal. It's roseola. It's just a viral infection that is super safe, not dangerous, but it's fever, 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 rash. So if you have a fever and belly pain, I would get checked out. Fever and headache that doesn't resolve after the fever goes away, I might do like a nursing screening call. Like call your pediatrician. If they look really sick and they're not able to move their head, maybe then go into the ER. Yeah, kids who have fever and are reluctant to walk or move around, I worry about too. Yeah, if your kids doesn't want to get off the sofa, Mm -hmm. you got to bring them in. Remember, and this is when the fever's gone. If the fever is gone and your kid doesn't want to move, they don't want to walk, they don't want to jump, they're just laying there, that's not normal. They need to get assessed. Here's a question about vomiting. What color vomit would make you definitely have to go to the emergency department? If you are under a year old, anything that is not the color of milk. So if you were under a year of age, anything yellow or green, I would worry about. If you're over a year old, anything green like spinach. Everyone likes to say their kid has bilious emesis, but they're actually talking about stomach content. Gastric fluid is yellow like a rotten lemon, like like a a deep mustardy yellow. Right, so we don't worry about yellow vomit because that that is stomach acid. It's dark green. It's like spinach, like steamed broccoli green. That means you have a blockage like past your stomach somewhere, past that bile duct and you're you're vomiting up bile. Yeah, that very, very concerning for an obstruction. Come to the hospital. Oh, oh, okay. No, no, testicle problems. If you got oh, testicle problems, yes. you need to come into the hospital and get an ultrasound. Okay, what's what kind of testicle problems? Any testicle pain. Pain, swelling, redness, come on in. We want to see totally you, we want agree. to ultrasound you. I always tell boys that they need to check their scrotum and if they ever have something new or worrisome, they need to show a parent immediately. But a lot of those are true emergencies. And anything blood-related. If you have... Blood in your pee, I want you to come in. If you're vomiting blood, I want you to come in. Blood in your poop, it's usually constipation. It's usually that you have a little tear on your anus. If, so if it's a little bit of blood on the poop when you're, with wiping, I'm not worried. But if you have blood mixed in with your poop, if you have dark colored mixed in, or if it's like with diarrhea, I would worry, come in. Yeah, I would say too, if you have blood in your vomit in a baby, you need to come in. However, most of the time it turns out to be mom's nipples are bleeding, baby swallowed some blood and they vomited. So if the baby's looking great, if they vomit up a little bit blood, 
feed them again or give them a bottle and see if it happens again before you head to the emergency room. And same, if you have blood in your urine, it's not always blood. Sometimes it's beets. Sometimes it's red food dye. Yeah, red poop is usually not blood. Red poop is usually beets. Flaming Hot Cheetos, oddly enough, can cause red pee. I wanted to say that. <laughs> you can vomit blood and have it be normal. My friend's son, actually, he he's a teenager, just started college, and he was vomiting profusely and had a little bit of streaks of blood. And you can vomit so hard, you can break some capillaries and get little streaks of blood in your vomit, and that's okay. We're not worried about it. Right, or if you have a bloody nose, a lot of people will swallow their own blood and then vomit up, and it's a little bit bloody. If you have a bloody nose, if your kid, sorry, if your kid has a bloody nose, because this is about the kids, you need to hold your nose and lean forward. Most people lean their head back and then they swallow the blood and vomit the blood and come in. Nobody wants to listen to this conversation we're having right now. This is just disgusting. This is good dinner time conversation. <laughs> what are some reasons that you would need to go to an emergency department for a head injury versus just a concussion that could be followed up, you know, by your trainer, by your doctor? Oh, I love this. So first off, a concussion is a clinical diagnosis. There is nothing on a CAT scan of the head that's going to make us diagnose a concussion. It's based off your symptoms. Did you hit your head and you're nauseous, you're dizzy, you're seeing double blurred vision, you had loss of consciousness? We're gonna call that a concussion. Head CTs are a lot of radiation. Your kid has their entire life to get radiated and it's all additive. So we try not to radiate your child's precious head unless we think there's something serious going on. Kids are like lollipops. They have huge heads. We have so much head trauma. So there's a lot of research on pediatric head trauma. Here's an example of a trauma that you may think the kid's just fine, but you really do need to bring them in is like fall from seven feet, fall from a tree house, fall from, you know, standing in a shopping cart. <laughs> I'm going to be like way more boring sounding. If your kid limps, they should come in. Your toddler who's limping, Toddlers break their legs so easily. I don't know why. It's, some, it's actually, they actually call it. There's a toddler's fracture. They break their tibias so easily. They got their own title for it. And it can be over the most trivial thing. They tripped over a Lego. They fell off the couch a little bit, a little bit hard. The kids who are limping should get evaluated. We're going to x-ray. Depending on the x-ray, we might do a few other things. But that's one where I'm like, it's not exciting. It's not, it's, it's, you're like, I don't know what happened. They were running around, they're playing in the living room. Now my kid won't walk or they'll take a few steps, but they're limping a lot. I want to see that kid. I want to make sure it's not a fracture. And then I also want to make sure the rest of the exam, how they're doing. Now, the other thing, depending on the age of your kid and their mobility, a two-year-old with a leg fracture, I'm actually going to have casted in the ER. A 17-year-old, I'm going to put in a splint with crutches, but so it, it also depends on like how old is your kid and how well will they keep a splint in place. The, the other caveat is kids don't usually fake it. So if your kid hurts themselves, like let's say that your five-year-old is goofing off and tries to do a cartwheel and then starts complaining of wrist pain and you're watching her throughout the day, you give her some Motrin, you're like, man, no, she's literally not using her wrist. She's not crying about it, not complaining about it. I don't see any deformity. Like it looks normal, but she's just not using it. It's probably broken. Yeah, but I've had orthopedists tell me, and I know this is right, that almost all broken bones can be just supported and go to the doctor later. They don't need to go to the emergency room. Anything where the bone is sticking out, obviously, or bent needs to go to the ER. I wouldn't ignore it and I would go to your doctor and I would get an x-ray. 
That's one of my favorites though. The young kid who won't use their arm and they don't seem to be in a lot of pain, but you know that like earlier you swung them from that arm or they were throwing a tantrum, you were holding their hand and they just suddenly squatted down. I love... I love that one. What is that? <sighs> nursemaids. I love, I love nursemaids. nursemaids Although it's so satisfying. Your forearm has two bones, the ulna and the radius. The radius, which is the side where you like give a thumbs up, the end near your elbow is just this little nub. And there's a ligament that goes around it. And if you pull your kid or your kid like pulls themselves somehow, it can just pop off. And the treatment is so simple. Like we literally just hold your kid's arm and wrist and just twist and pop and it goes back into place. It's so satisfying. No, it makes my day. I come home grinning. What if you can't get the bleeding to stop on something? What's your advice on that? Pressure, more pressure, 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 You have kids that they never stop bleeding? If they're still bleeding past that and you're holding on tight and it's still bleeding, 911. If you're doing like the, everyone's done it, right? Everyone's had a little cut and you're like, I'm holding it on for a few seconds. I take it off. I'm gonna dab it and then it bleeds. Oh, I'm gonna dab it again. And it's gonna bleed. Of course, it's gonna keep bleeding. You keep breaking off the clot and so it can't stop bleeding. (laughs) It's like with a bloody nose. If Once it stops bleeding, don't blow your nose. You're gonna break that clot off. So that the whole thing about holding pressure, I tell parents, apply pressure and then look at a watch for five minutes because Five minutes when you're holding pressure feels like eternity. That way you make sure you're actually holding it for the full five minutes. Anything that won't stop bleeding and you've made a big effort at home, you got to bring them into the emergency department. Yep. Or call 911. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing, one depressing thing, Dr. Wendy. Because I feel like you're supposed to be like, this is like a cute podcast, but not all things are cute. And this is reality. The other thing is that suicide is one of the top deaths in kids 15 to 25 years of age. If your kid is not acting right, you need to call 911. And you need to also, if they're not looking right, if someone's acting altered or unconscious, you also need to know what kind of medications are in your house. What could someone have overdosed on? It's serious. It's not cute. It's not fuzzy. It's not fun. It's not something I want to talk about, but that is a legitimate thing that I see in the emergency department. It's giving me goosebumps because it makes me so unhappy. Be a family. A lot of the things we talk about and a lot of, especially this ending sad part, just be with your kids. Be a family. If you're listening to this podcast, which means that you're more interactive as a parent and you want to know more, and that's a good thing. Have your family dinners. Watch your kids. Don't worry. You're listening to us. We, We see the worst of the worst. I see the rare stuff your kid is most likely going to be healthy and have a wonderful life. And so give them as much love and attention and support as you possibly can. And don't worry about this because we got your back covered if something happens. If you're on the fence about a trip to the emergency room, keep these tips in mind. If your child is sucking in under their ribs, we call that retractions. They may be sucking in at the bottom of their throat, above their clavicles, or flaring their nose. But if you see that they're using extra muscles to try and breathe, that is one reason you want to go in. Our next tip was that you need to treat their fever and then reassess. So give Motrin, Tylenol, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, whatever you've got on hand, then check out how they look. And if they're looking better after giving the medication, you can stay home. The other thing we look for is rash and fever at the same time. 
It's okay if you have fever for a couple of days, then all of a sudden the fever is gone and the kid breaks out in a rash. But if a child has rash and fever at the same time, it may be an emergency. The other thing you want to think about in terms of fever is if the child won't move. So if they have a really bad headache or really bad abdominal pain and they just lie there and are reluctant to move, that is concerning. It may be an emergency. Then of course, any problem with a kid's testicle is worrisome. If it's swollen or painful, you do need to be looked at as soon as possible. We also talked about the fact that kids don't generally fake it. If your child is limping or won't use their arm, you're going to want to have them looked at. So we also talked about broken bones are not necessarily an emergency, but if they're deformed or very swollen, you'll need to take them into the ER. If you think they've broken a bone, you may be able to wait overnight if they're pretty comfortable and you can take them to the orthopedist in the morning. Bleeding that won't stop after five minutes of continuous pressure is also concerning. You wanna make sure that you put plenty of pressure on the area and keep that clot intact. So hold pressure for at least five minutes before you remove a bandage to check and see if the bleeding's still happening. A good way to do this is to look at your watch. If a child has any change in their behavior that's worrisome to you, the emergency room is not a bad idea. You can also call your pediatrician, but you always wanna look for someone to help you out. And something we didn't talk about is if you have pain that you can't get under control, that's another reason that you may need to go into the hospital. I want to thank Dr. Joelle D'Onofrio-Odeman for her wisdom, and I'll see you next time. For more from the Pediatrician Next Door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the Pediatrician Next Door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.